University for young people today is expensive. From tuition fees and course equipment to rent, bills, food, clubs and societies, the list is endless. Current students will be paying off their loans for the next 30 years and 2023 to 24 university starters will be paying off their loans for the next 40 years. In reality, most will never repay their debt. Instead, they'll be on a treadmill of interest payments for the majority of their working life. But enough about dread of the future. That's a separate discussion. Let's talk about the present. Well, the present isn't looking that good either. With the cost of living crisis only getting worse, rent going up and inflation at a high, the current situation is even more dire for our existing university students. I'm Elisa Anwar and on this month's podcast we're going to be looking at the financial situation of our current university students. We'll be diving into an outrageous housing situation unfolding at one of the top unis and also speaking to students about the wider impact of the cost of living crisis on their everyday reality. What if we didn't have a cohort of struggling students? What if? What if? What if? What if? A monthly podcast series in partnership with IF, the Intergenerational Foundation. So let's start off by focusing on a very specific, scary and quite frankly appalling situation. Student housing. Now images of students camping outside estate agents at Durham University have circulated around social media from late October to November this year. They show the severe extent of the housing crisis facing young students. And I'm pleased to say that I'm joined by two of the girls that brought the story to light, Lily Weir and Katie Heckles. So to our listeners who are maybe not aware of what the situation is and was a few months ago, can you maybe explain to them? This year, students have been camping outside the estate agents overnight to try and sign the houses. What we think's happened is that estate agents have released the rental properties ridiculously early because they've anticipated uh, a housing crisis. They've anticipated bills going up and it's clearly quite profitable to be causing this sense of panic um, amongst students. So students have been out, you know, sleeping overnight outside multiple estate agents. It's not been just the once. It's been at least twice. And students have been signing houses really early with people they don't know. Um, signing houses with too many rooms for the group of people that they've got so they're either paying for extra rooms in the house that they're not using or having to desperately find other students to live with them Um, and it's happening for all all year groups and I feel especially sorry for freshers who were in their third week of term and having to sign a house. And I'm pretty certain that it's the um, I think the council have like a 10% cap So only 10% of houses in the city can actually go to students. And obviously with COVID, meaning that the university, everyone's kind of done better than anticipated. Um, With grades, the university's given out a lot more um, like spaces this year. Mm. So obviously we have a situation where we've got quite a small city compared to other uni um, universities and much more kind of students. Um, So yeah, I guess that kind of contributes a lot as well. Well, the university said that they anticipated this housing crisis happening and that they they took responsibility for 
there being a too big an influx of students in the city for the city's housing to support it. Yeah, I think it was was it the vice chancellor or something. He he emailed saying that yeah. they admitted this is because they took too many students, partly as you said, because of COVID and A level. So they are aware. They're definitely aware. They we spoke to um, the local MP about this, and and just before I was able to speak to her, um, Jeremy Cook was was on the phone to her as well, um, talking talking about the housing crisis. So so they know they know that something's going on. And have they done anything about it? Are they going to do anything about it? They've said that they're going to release college rooms for for returners to go and stay in. Yeah, I think that was, they said 800 rooms would be released. Up to 800 rooms to 800, would be yeah. released for returners. And normally these rooms are used for first year students, but I'm a fourth year and I live in college because... Um, that's that's the common thing at my college for postgrads and mature students to do and they've they've also released the information that uh in the in the new year if students haven't already signed a house then they can get in touch with with an email address and they've employed someone to help deal with students who don't yet have a house but like i said the durham market the durham housing market starts crazily early and students who haven't heard for nearly three months of whether, whether they have a place to live next year are expected to wait until January for help from the university. And I guess that's really scary because I was only there like two years ago. And even then, loads of people are telling us that, you know, you need to find people to live with, otherwise houses are going to go. And I think at that time, it was more like rhetoric pressure, like, even if we waited, there would be houses. And I'm interested, just within those few years since I've been at uni, has that changed? Um, is it just rhetorical pressure or is it actually there will be no houses? Well, I, I can speak definitely. Obviously, I'm second year, so I can speak compared to last year. Um, So I only signed my um flat that I'm in now in January last year. And I didn't feel like there was much pressure at all, to be honest. Um, But this year... I definitely, yeah, it something's definitely changed this year. Um, I'm next year. I'm living with people that I've only met once, um, just because, yeah, the it, everyone's kind of quite scared about the situation. Um, the university's got involved, and that's never really happened to this scale before. So obviously, something's going on. Um, I feel like it's a combination, like COVID, kind of the impact of COVID, obviously the cost of living crisis. Um, and then as well, sort of the city in Durham, especially. Yeah, I was I was there um, interviewing students who were camping outside the estate agents overnight. And you could really sense this this feeling of panic about not having somewhere to live. Students said that they had contacted multiple landlords, you know, private landlords, lettings agencies, anyone that they could contact about whether they had any houses available for next year. And they had been told no by all, you know, and that there was nothing left in Durham, but for them to wait outside an estate agent overnight in the hope that they could get in the queue early enough to secure a house. Yeah, I even asked um, the estate agent if I could re-sign where I'm living right now. Um, and they told me that I wasn't, a they weren't able to accept that. Um, so I thought that I was going to be quite safe this year, but unfortunately not. 
on average, we did an investigation into the price of housing. On average, houses without bills cost around £145 per person per week. And this was regardless of how many people were in the house. And houses with bills over, you know, nearly £200, which is which is insane. And the, you know, the Durham houses for students aren't particularly nice at all the viaduct which is the main student area we we had reports of students that, that said their houses had rats that had some really serious mold were wet didn't have heating were just damp and dank and you wouldn't expect anyone else to live in these houses yeah. and they're costing around 180 pounds per person per week for a tiny little victorian house that hasn't yeah. been renovated for probably decades. Um, I've heard of people going in, um, moving into their houses after summer, finding a dead crow um, in their house, which is quite, uh, yeah, quite random, but I've heard of that happening. Some of the things you hear is just, yeah, it's, if this was kind of outside the student sort of circle, it just wouldn't be happening and it wouldn't be acceptable. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. It, it's it's not funny either like when you think about the fact that 18 19 year olds on the street camping overnight mm-hmm. to find a place to live mm-hmm. like alarm bells should be going at that point that that's not normal and also you know we keep talking about without bills and this is how much per week and their maintenance loan doesn't cover it then obviously where is that money expected to come from jobs i mean i've heard of students having to yeah part-time jobs that they're actually probably spending more time doing their part-time job than their degree Mm -hmm. you're expected to be working you know quite you know a number of hours a day on your degree there isn't time for jobs the only jobs in the city available are either at nightclubs bars or or bars Bars. or pubs or cafes but lots of these places have a tendency to hire local people instead so it's quite difficult for students to get jobs. I don't really know many, many students who do have jobs. That's not to say there aren't students who have jobs because there are students who have to. Yeah. Otherwise so they can't afford it. Yeah. I, I have a part-time job. I do tutoring online, which I find is like the hours are flexible. It, it suits me really well. But I know definitely some people are spending too much time on their part-time jobs mm. and they should be spending that time kind of on their yeah on their degree and of course parents can help out and I think most students have to have their parents help out on, on their rent yeah. otherwise it's just not feasible my maintenance loan doesn't cover any of my you know it covers barely half of my rent how on earth are you supposed to expect students to be able to afford to live here and it's frustrating that it's been let to get to that stage as well like who do you think is to blame university for saying they anticipated this problem yeah they haven't really done much to actually prevent it It, if they kind of anticipate it you would have thought that you know they could have intervened um to the point where they could have prevented students from sleeping outside on the street to sign houses they react retrospectively when they knew full well this would happen they shouldn't have let in as many students as they did in fact when covid first hit they were asking students to and incentivizing students to defer by saying they'd pay part of their rent for the next year which just meant that more students would be coming the year after yeah so I was offered actually money to defer my place for the next year 
um and as well like we haven't spoken about the freshers accommodation mm-hmm. um so freshers incoming freshers this year um were being moved during freshers week finding out that where they obviously they'd moved in unpacked all their stuff they had to then pack up their stuff and move somewhere else because the uni had overbooked college accommodation um the university have bought out all of the unite student type buildings um for freshers um yeah so they're I, I think they're trying to um kind of I guess make up for the situation that we're in but it just isn't enough no and at the moment no I'm interested that is this a situation that you think is isolated just at one university or have you heard from others because I remember when I was um, going to university open days I know like famously St Andrews has a massive student housing problem for similar reasons because it's a small town um what are your thoughts on that have you heard of any other places so we know that Manchester has a problem but I think that's more to do with the pricing um and the cost of living crisis but our at Edinburgh there's an issue with places available because some students have been forced to sleep in bunk beds in a common room which our colleagues at the tab Edinburgh have reported on really effectively. And even if students manage to get a house, albeit at a high price, young people have to face other costs despite having very little disposable income. So let's widen our perspective from housing to the general cost of living for students. According to the charity Young Minds, 80% of 20 to 25 year olds are always or often worried about earning enough. And I don't blame them. Most students are enrolled in full-time education. So any work, if they can fit it around their university schedules, has to be part-time. And let's be real, A lot of the time, these part-time jobs are minimum wage, hospitality, bar or retail work. Some universities even dissuade their students from working as it could interrupt their studies. So, if they do have a job, they're earning part-time wages, but they have to pay full-time rent and full-time bills. That doesn't make sense. Now, in the current academic year, £21 billion was paid out in maintenance loan payments. So you could argue that students have this additional income to help them through university. But there are a few problems with this. Firstly, these loans are reliant on the income of your parents, which ignores the fact that some parents may not want to contribute to their child's education, or they have multiple children to finance through university so income is divided, or they themselves may be feeling the effects of the cost of living crisis and they don't have a couple of extra grand to spare to help their child. Secondly, the National Union of Students claims that 68% of students can't even afford course materials and almost a third of students were only left with £50 a month to live on after paying rent and bills. So in a lot of cases, the maintenance loan doesn't cover the necessities for the student. Thirdly, The loans have not caught up with inflation. And anyway, the maintenance loan system, like the student loan system, is essentially a student tax. Why should young people face this additional economic burden when the older generations didn't have to and currently don't? So let's talk to some students to find out how their experience is with navigating university during a cost of living crisis. I'm joined by Lottie Foster, a student from LSE 
to hear what she has to say. Does your maintenance loan cover your outgoing costs? Yeah, so my maintenance loan does, but there's a bit of a backstory to it, is that actually I'm not currently in uh, sharing accommodation with friends. Um, I'm back in student accommodation because that was the only way that my maintenance loan could fully cover rent plus extra expenditure, such as like food, not even clothing. I wish I could say clothes. And was that decision then purely based on finance? Like you just couldn't afford to live out based yes. on your loan? Yes, 100%. I had, I actually had a flat lined up with friends um, and they were international students and they were expected to pay uh, six months worth of rent up front. Obviously, um, because I'd be staying with them, I was not able to do that. My maintenance loan wouldn't have come through in time. And I worked in Tesco's over the summer in order to save enough money to pay for my first lot of rent at the student accommodation. But yeah, so unfortunately, because of the financial reasons, I had to let that uh, flat go and yeah, and then turn to student accommodation. And maybe turning away from housing, how has this cost of living crisis impacted your university experience? There are two, three of my close friends that I know who are in student accommodation. Uh, some people I know live in London and so are living from home were unable to move out so yes the social aspect was massive for me I mean I'm quite central so I can still uh go to them but it's not the same it's not the experience I would have wanted for myself um or I had envisioned myself having going into second year um and you know it's unfortunate because I'm having to think about my future quite strategically as well so with the money that I save from being in student accommodation this year, I'm actually planning on saving to then be able to <laughs> afford a flat for next year. So there's always a kind of like thinking six months ahead, where will my finances be? Will I be able to afford it? Um, I think you made a quite a good point that like, obviously everyone does have very different at home circumstances. And I mm -hmm. guess like now from, what you're saying and correct me if I'm wrong it does seem as though unless you do have that additional income coming in whether that be from part-time jobs whether that be from parents mm. or family uh that is the thing that impacts your university financial situation not the maintenance loan system yeah a hundred percent I when I was coming into university not only was I planning or coming into my second year of uni um Obviously, I knew I'd be going into student accommodation and I was planning on having a part-time job. I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends, tutor on the side. Um, and then as I got into university, I realised I actually wanted to be taking on more work experience and uh, internships are actually linked to things that I hope to go on to do, which can be very time-consuming in and of themselves and are often not paid. Um, so what I found was happening is I was kind of having to like balance slash choose between whether I was to take a part-time job and be working at the weekends and potentially through the week um, and then try to balance also work experience on top of that plus my studies or if I try to you know do with what I had keep with my maintenance loan and cut my expenditure 
on certain other things um, to make up for not having a part-time job to then be able to take on different forms of work experience, which would help towards my degree. But it's hard, I guess, because like you do want to focus on your studies and LSE is a very like academically rigorous university, yeah. especially for the course you're doing. Um, yeah. Do you feel as though you have enough time to dedicate to your work or do you, do you feel like you get the balance right? Um, and some people do. Yeah, I, I definitely know people who do have a good balance. I <laughs> I don't know if I'm one of them. <laughs> I think I in terms of work, my well, personally, I, I do prioritize work. I often think too much. And I sort of have two things that feed into that. Like one is firstly, like my own, how I go about academics and my own approach to it. And then secondly, is the financial side of it. Recently this week, I've kind of have to, I've had to think like, okay, well, I want to go and see my friends for lunch. So I'm going to say I'm going to spend around 15 pounds for that meal. Can I then afford to go out in the evening on Friday with those people well how much is this ticket in how much would it cost me to get the tube there if I was to get the tube and so all these other things come into it and I think well maybe I can't do that this week and I have to wait until next week to see where my finances are to see how much I've had to spend on groceries um to see if there's any random things that come up which I need to pay for like recently I lost my student ID and that costs £10, which is small, but because I'm on this, uh, like, temporary budget, very strict budget, before my next lot of rent is due, um, yeah, I have to be a lot more strict on myself. Winter Wonderland, that was, <laughs> you know, there are things that you want to do, but the tickets were £5, and then on top of that, rides were £9, and I was thinking, okay, the best I can do is kind of just walk around and able to be... Um, to be able to afford it, to go and experience it. But, you know, to do any more than that wouldn't be within my budget. Especially also, like, for me, I live in Cornwall and the train's back. I have a rail card, but to have a train is about £80. So even I have to consider, can I afford to go home with this money um, and work that into my budget? So what should be done? I'm joined by IF's co-founders, Liz Emerson and Angus Hanton, to find out more. I'm going to start with you, Angus. Um, you actually wrote a really nice article um, on IF's blog, which our listeners can read on IF's website, um, where you expressed your thoughts while watching a graduation ceremony. And I'm just going to read out an extract from that blog because I really liked it. And you said that graduation ceremonies are all very English and polite, but below the surface lies an implicit assumption that somebody else should be worrying about the money involved. Now, in this episode, we've seen how students are struggling financially at university because, as you point out in your blog, university and education is expensive. What does IF think should be done about the struggling students at uni? The government should be far more generous, surely, towards students. Um, It should help them financially in the same way that it helps older people. Um, And it should take account of the fact that what the experience that students have uh, really shapes their attitude to the state and really gives them an opportunity. um, If they have a good experience, gives them an opportunity to come out with a with a much better education. But if if the government are going to help students, does that not imply that 
that's just more money that students are going to have to take as a loan. Surely education should just be free. As you say, free education would be much more desirable so that we could then just concentrate on the question of how to finance students' living costs. And that, of course, should, as it used to be, be means tested, um, probably in a sophisticated, sophisticated way that takes account of the number of children that uh, in a family and so on. But uh, it, not in such a way that the wealthy families um, have very generous grants, but certainly very generous grants for, for, for working class um, students, I would have thought. I think what we've lost in this country is the idea that educating our workforces into the future should be a public good. And that if we want to grow the gross domestic product of this country, then we have to invest in younger generations. Um, it seems particularly intergenerationally unfair that older people over the age of around 55 had no student debt, got their educations for free and were even given money to go to university. Whereas next year for 2023 students, the government is planning to extend their loan, their loan repayments for an extra decade. So they will be in their 60s. Yeah, but it's all linked, isn't it, to the way that society thinks about students. Uh, and young people, we're thinking about them as an underclass, and that is allowing the government to to treat them so poorly when it comes to the finances. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, Angus. But it's almost worse than that. That the government and Universities UK, um, who who obviously represent the leading universities in this country, have actually ghosted students over the last three years. I mean, during the pandemic, they allowed students to be um, uh, fenced in, um, locked in their halls. Uh, they've still charged their maximum fees. They still haven't uprated their maintenance loans by inflation. And as this episode has shown, young people at, who are trying to educate themselves are investing in themselves, which is all part of that rhetoric of the marketization of higher education, just cannot afford to live. And once again, students are left at the back of the queue. Yeah, and you can see also how bad the 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 amount of money they have to borrow is, because apparently only a quarter of them will pay off their student loans in full. And if that's right, that means what we're deliberately doing is just landing them with a uh, the other three quarters, landing them with a tax that they'll have to pay for the whole of their working life. And certainly, as you say, nowadays into their 60s. I think that it is great to say that the government need to invest more in young people. But how do we relay this into policy? I know it's not going to be one policy, but I don't think we can just say they need to invest more in young people. How can they practically help us? I think what if it's long called for is for education to be free um, in terms of fees. It, sh it should be fair that students contribute um, towards their own living costs, but we should also return to um, maintenance grants for the poorest students with contributions from wealthier students towards their own living costs. The problem that we've seen since the tripling of fees back in 2012 is that there's been a kind of gravy train where halls accommodation, um, all other university students have seen students as a cash cow and 
that the cuts, even the halls accommodation costs eat up 95% of a student maintenance loan. I think another thing that another a sort of second order effect of the way that government have financed university or forced students to finance it is that it's it's legitimized debt. So it's encouraged young people to borrow as much as they can. And I don't think that's necessarily a good lesson in life. There've been other second bad second order effects as well from the, the student loan uh, student financing system, such as other countries who still amazingly look to Britain as an example, other countries are able to adopt a, a similar system. So uh, the damage that the, the government, successive governments have done isn't just towards British students, it's towards young people around the world. And remember that that and that 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 kind of marketization and financialization of um this of the student sector that was sold to students on the understanding that it would be fine because they were going to receive some sort of graduate premium in their pay because they went to university. And as we know, that graduate premium has been eroded over time. There are very, very few careers now where, you, where you'll actually be earning more than a non-graduate. I think the statistics were, are or were um, that if you graduated within the last five years, 48% of graduates are working in non-graduate jobs. And if you graduated more than five years ago, it's still running at over 30% of graduates are in non-graduate jobs. So that graduate premium isn't there anymore to justify the high fees, the high interest rates and the high repayment rates. University education should not be for the financially privileged. Students should not have to be forced out of thousands of extra pounds just to have somewhere to live. They shouldn't have to borrow money to get by and they most certainly shouldn't have £50 a month left to live on. It's immoral and quite frankly inhumane. It all comes down to whether the government sees investing in young people's higher education as equal as the other generations, which is even more ironic because it is the young generation that's going to have to get the country economically back on track. Fighting for equality amongst current and future generations is something that we should all strive towards and is central to the work of IF. If any of the topics and discussion in this month's podcast have caught your attention, then head over to www.if.org.uk where IF have conducted incredible research into the topic. Or follow the Intergenerational Foundation on Twitter, Facebook and even Instagram. See you next month. What IF? What IF? What If? What If? A monthly podcast series in partnership with IF, the Intergenerational Foundation.